I got something I want to read just for myself, and then I want to pray before we get started. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's pray. God, I come before you tonight just asking that you just be with me and that everything that I say would be your words that you would have me say. Nothing stemming from my own flesh, but from the Holy Spirit that lives within me, God. Lord, I, I, uh, I ask that you'd open ears to hear. And that you would just be on everything that, I, that you've given me to say, Lord. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Um, this is like the, the third time now that I've spoken in front of people about the Bible and stuff. So, um, first time in front of so many people and so many adults that speak English. <laughs> so... Um, well, some of us, that's still debatable. <laughs> yeah, well, um, well, I'm going to go through like a quick testimony, kind of where I've been, kind of the things I've been through. Um, a lot of you know me from when uh, I grew up here in the church. Like Nash, a while ago, what are talking about? Like Nash, and I busted my head on one of the pews, and Jerry had to soak up my blood with one of his handkerchiefs that he carries around. <laughs> had to get stitches, I still have the scar. Yeah, I was just like that while I was a buck. Um, but I, I was blessed to be raised by godly parents. My mom showed me how to love, and my, my dad showed me <laughs> all the rest. <laughs> Spare the rod, spool the child. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, I was brought up to know, uh, I had plenty of knowledge about the Bible, and uh, I was saved over there in the uh, old sanctuary. Uh, Gail Arnold, God bless her, was speaking, and even though I was really little, she presented the gospel in a way that I completely understood it, and I really am thankful for her. And, uh, but as I, as I got older, I started to find myself... Um, longing for the things of this world and for recognition of myself instead of wanting to bring glory to God, I wanted to establish my own legacy, my own worldly legacy here. And I decided that I would join the army and become a paratrooper. 
because I, you know, that's honorable, which it is honorable, but for my, and I, my intentions originally were to serve, but eventually it became like, like, how awesome can I make myself seem, you know? And when it turned to that, my personal life tanked. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> I mean, it just went, it just went down in flames. I was still able to do my job just fine, but, um, you know, I started to uh, not spend any time in the Word or in prayer at all, and uh, I found myself at the bars every weekend, you know, chasing women. I figured, I figured out how, unfortunately, it became really easy for me, and it, it just uh, it brought me down for a long time. And it continued to bring me down as, as, as Satan would bring back to my mind the things that I allowed myself to get into. Even though I, I was saved, I still just, I failed utterly, backslide, just down in the hole. But um, thankfully, the Lord brought me back from that. And I stand here before you today unworthy to, to even speak his name, but, but Jesus Christ, has, it's like he, he, he redeemed me twice, and I'm utterly thankful for that. But uh, my favorite verse that I like to go back to is uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39, verses as far as where I've been and where I'm going. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's absolutely true. For you young people, I mean, if you ever get like I was and you feel like you're so far away and there's no coming back from it. It's right there. Amen. I can't say it any better. Amen. So now, let's fast forward to now. Let's, let's skip all that bad stuff and get to where I'm at right now. Um, I've got about a year left. I should be done next, the end of next February, March time frame with uh, my bachelor's degree, which will be in biblical and theological studies. And I don't know where that's going to take me. But all I know is, whatever I'm doing, I want to honor the Lord. And it's not about what the world considers prosperity to me anymore. And uh, I thank God for that. So, let's talk about what I've learned since my turnaround. And it wasn't completely abrupt, and you know, it wasn't a complete 180. I had a lot to learn before I've got to where I am now. And I'm not perfect and I still screw up a lot, but um, I've learned a lot since then. So let's go over some of that. Um, I found myself really drawn to the American dream cycle of life, kind of like the, the cookie cutter format, right? So you graduate high school and you do your best in school and you got to get into the best college and you got to find your wife while you're there and then you know, get married as quick as you can after that, you, you, you get done with your school, graduate, do really good, maybe go on to even higher education, but as soon as you can, you, you want to get locked into that good old 30-year mortgage, 
And <laughs> a lot of you have been there. Uh, still there. <laughs> a lot of you want to get locked into that 30-year mortgage and pay it off as quickly as you can. You know, ask the Lord for help and with all our financial prosperity so that we can retire as soon as we can and then enjoy life. But this, this format is, it's not really biblical. Um, I'm not saying you can't go through this exact process and put the Lord first. I'm not saying that at all, I promise. But these things tend to distract us from what the Lord has for us. And they definitely distracted me. Um, I want to say before I get started to talk about any of this, I am really extremely thankful. This is the Sunday night crowd. I know that. But that don't mean that some of us, myself included, still have trouble with some of the things I'm about to talk about. All right? And our church is exceedingly generous towards missions. And some of you I see all the time giving every bit of your time and your energy to, to the Lord, no matter how old you are. Man, I really appreciate, I'm going to give free example because I don't see them here. Pete and Jane Easter. They are such an example to me. And I know that they've prayed for me every single day for decades now. I'm that old. But yes, they, they've, they, and I know they still to this day pray for me every single day. And I, I promise you, there's been times when I've felt like all I could do was crawl. And like I struggle back to my feet just feeling like I, I was being uplifted by somebody. And I know from time to time, that was them. And the Lord has a place for each and every one of us within what we can do for his kingdom. If you're older and you don't have the energy that you did when you were young. You're here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could. I'm pretty sure Pete and Jane pray more than anybody I've ever met. I mean, and they're using every ounce of energy they have left on this earth to glorify God in the ways that they can. And that is an example to me, as well as some of you others that I see working out at Bible camp in the, in the, uh, in the kitchen. Even though I know some of you have some physical disabilities, and, and it's hard for you to get around and get in there and, and get your hands dirty and get mixed up in it. You're still there, and that is an inspiration to me. And uh, some of you younger folks that are still raising kids and, and stuff like that, um, I've, I've seen within some of you guys inspiration as well. Um, just your, your devotion to the Lord, you, the way you drag your kids to church, man, that's, <laughs> I, I love it. So let's dig into this so y'all don't all get mad at me. I just had to say that. Um, so if we're not careful in putting God at the front of everything we do, then each of the points of the American dream that I kind of went over can, can become hindrances. And, of course, we're going to start with money and financial prosperity. Uh, Luke 16 uh, talks about the dishonest manager and how when he finds out that the, uh, 
the master is coming back, he's like, oh man, I'm going to lose my job, so I better make the up, like, I better make right with all these people that I've been so hard on. So he goes around and he cuts their debts in half and says, just pay it off now and you're, and you're good to go. And um, it's, a, it's a parable that Jesus tells, but at the end is what I really like. Uh, verse 13 through 15, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now the Pharisees, who were the lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And that, that's, that could be us a lot of times. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God who knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. All right? So a lot of times we justify ourselves in the sight of men as far as what we are willing to give towards the kingdom of God. And that could be money, that could be time, that could be effort and energy. And sometimes we're just, we look at what we can spare and not what will it take. Right, Leah? If none of y'all were here for, I mean, so I know some of you were, but... Uh, I really enjoyed Leah talking about Clarkston a couple of weeks ago. Yes. I mean, it was, <laughs> it puts things in perspective about where we should be and what we should be doing. So, um, just to show how seriously God takes this, we go to Acts 5, 1 through 11. This is Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for themselves. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God." And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after they carried him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. They're partners in crime at this point. And Peter said to her, why is it that you've agreed together to put to the test the Holy Spirit. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and over all who heard these things. Now, to me, when I read this, I, it's not just about the money, it's, 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 it's about the heart of the matter. Like when we say that we can't, we can't do something, we don't have time to do something, somebody else has more time to do this than me, it's, it don't reflect very well on us, <laughs> to say the very least. And, and this is how serious the Lord takes, not that we're going to drop dead here in the church nowadays. I mean, it's still possible, I ain't going to rule it out, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just, it just goes to show how serious the Lord takes it. Yes. And um, 
when we're at that point in our lives that Ananias and Sapphira were, it, it, it's kind of like where we are as a, as a Christian church in America. And we just, we just let things slide and we, you know, we, we get more absorbed in ourselves. And we start losing sight of what the real meaning and purpose of life is, which is to glorify God. I'd like to uh, go to Ecclesiastes 1 right now. Wish I had time to read the whole thing because the whole thing reminds me of the, the American dream as a whole. And how, to me, as, as I'm reading through it and knowing the history of Solomon, uh, knowing that he, he fell away from doing God's will and, and he had all his wives and he fell into idol worship and everything else, I want to say that this is at the end of, of Solomon's life where he, he's, he's lost sight of the goal. So let's, let's read this, uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing towards the south, then turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, they will flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the latter, later things which occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Now that sounds kind of dark and hopeless to me. And that is the, the view... Stemming from like the American dream, like a godless American dream right there. No matter what you do, no matter how the high year prosperity, if you're Donald Trump himself, even if he gets elected president, he's still nothing without God. And that's where, to me, Solomon was. He was at the height of his prosperity. He could have bought anything he wanted. But he realized like it's all meaningless. I don't think he had the, I don't think he had the kind of, like I know David and probably Joshua didn't quite understand everything that there had to do with the Messiah, but they knew something else was coming. They had the hope for the future. And at this point in Solomon's life, for, this whole, for the whole book of the Bible, I feel like he had lost sight of it. And we, we can use this to kind of like, man, if we're, we're, if we're subtracting God from our lives and the way we're living, that's, that's it. The world keeps turning and everything's the same. And no matter what we do, we're not going to change it. And that just sounds terrible. So, let's actually find the purpose of life. Matthew nineteen sixteen through 30. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? So he's already wrong. What good thing should I do? <laughs> and he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you, keep, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. 
Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. All right. So this is definitely also going against our little cookie cutter thing that we came up with earlier. We tend to lose sight of eternity and tend to go after the the things of this world and we're not willing to sacrifice our our comfort and our self-preservation and our safety for the gospel of Christ. If you look around the world and listen to any of these missionary stories about these people who live in super poor places, they're turning every resource they possibly have into sharing the gospel. And we struggle with just separating ourselves from 10% a lot of times, which it shouldn't be what we can spare, but what will it take? And I've seen this within myself, and I'm, I'm so guilty of this as of, I'm just going to assume, many of you. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard struggle here in America to, to, to balance the prosperity that, that we have with putting everything within us and all of our physical gifts that we're born with and spiritual gifts into uh, building the kingdom of God. So, we'll go to 1 John two fifteen through 17. Which says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. We need to keep everything we do. This is something else that I've learned and had to just wrap my mind around, we need to keep everything we do in accordance to the view of eternity. 
Like we, we become so focused on this short little life that we're going to live on this earth. We could 60, 70, 80, 90, even if we live to 100, it is still so, so short in comparison to eternity. And if our eyes and our energy and everything we have is not fronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then a lot of times we're doing something wrong. And uh, I'll move on from money now. I, think we, I don't think I need to beat a dead horse anymore. I got some more stuff here, but we'll skip on down to uh, some other stuff. Uh, money, <laughs> money and financial prosperity aren't the only possible hindrances. Even in relationships, including the pursuit of a spouse who doesn't find their full identity in Christ, can hinder your ministry. And hinder what God can do with you. In 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35. Paul is addressing the Corinthians. Obviously, 1 Corinthians. And he says, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world. And how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion from the Lord, to the Lord. Okay, and I kind of wrote out wrote out a definition of what we should be seeking in a spouse. This is for me. I've not been married. I've been in relationships, and obviously, through trial and error, I've had many errors, so it's helped me to understand this. (laughs) This is a voice of experience. Yeah. It's about companionship. The Bible says in Genesis 2.18, directly from the mouth of God, that it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's about building each other up in the faith as examples of Christ's love to one another and enhancing one another's ministry capability. Your mate should put God first in everything and should be your spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and physical match. If we compromise on finding a suitable mate just for the sake of the idea of marriage then we are opening the door for that partnership to become a hindrance to our own spiritual walk. We should, above all, be heavenly-minded in this pursuit. Amen. So true. And I just want to remind all you young people, I'm 30, and I'm still doing all right. So <laughs> there's, there's no rush or emergency if you aren't married by 25 years old. Amen. Seek God first. And it's not even a necessity for you to be married at all. In 1 Timothy 6, 8, uh, Paul says, But if we have food and clothing, let us be content with that. Like, God is going to fulfill our needs, especially our spiritual needs, but he's going to give us food, clothing, and shelter. That's what he promises. He doesn't promise, he doesn't promise us a wife. That's not a promise. I have the... Uh, Divorce rates, and I got these from Christian websites, so this isn't a secular thing being blown up. 
The divorce rate within the church for first marriages is between 15 and 20%. It just depended on which, which Christian website I went to. And that's one in five. And that these are, these are not people who are going like once every couple months. These are people who are going once a week. All right? And that's because one or both of the members of that marriage aren't seeking God first. I mean, plain and simple, because I've seen, I've observed, not in my own life, because I haven't been married, but I've observed other couples who have gone through really hard times, things that you would think would be impossible to overcome, but when they both decide to put God first, the Lord takes care of them, and I see that. So... How do we find this identity in Christ, though? This is going back, going back to me. This is like as I've been searching and trying to figure out myself from a hole in the ground. Um, <laughs> I, I've read scripture all over the place, but the thing, I'm going to go through some things that just stuck out to me. Um, who God is in Exodus 3.14 God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I love God's explanation of who he is. Like, I am who I am. I am omniscient, omnipresent, and all-powerful. I am everything. He doesn't say I am this or that. He says I am. He's everything. And he should be everything to us. And... uh Go to Jeremiah 2.19 now, and a little backstory to this. Of course, everybody knows about the, the kingdom of Israel. It's split into two parts, Israel and Judah. Judah lasted a little longer because they trusted the Lord a little bit longer. But uh, here at the end, to Jeremiah, uh, the Lord says, Your own wickedness will correct you, and your apostasies will reprove you. Know, therefore, and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God, and the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. Other translations would say, you do not stand in awe of me, declares the Lord of hosts. And how, I mean, how many times is that us? I mean, as, as Christian believers, how many times do we find ourselves not standing in awe of God? We stand more in awe of the Georgia Bulldogs, or the Atlanta Braves or somebody's earthly academic accomplishment than we find in somebody coming to know Christ, which is eternal. That, it, that convicts me hard. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but that bothers me about myself. I think we should <laughs> spend some time in prayer to... Uh, to try to remedy that. We should, we should take more excitement in the building of the kingdom of God than we should in, in any earthly accomplishment. Amen. So, let's go to now how, how the Lord wants us to, to interact with other people. John fifteen seventeen simply says to love one another. This is what I command you. And... He didn't put any stipulations on that either. Not at all. Because God is love. He's the ultimate example. 
The, the whole Bible is like a love letter to us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It, it, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter what we did. It puts no stipulations on it there either. It doesn't say if you were a member of ISIS and chopped off Christians' heads and raped little girls that, you know, I, I don't love you. While, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you've done. And we're not to be the judges of that. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, how dare us take the role of judge, jury, or executioner and decide that we should wield our American military like we are the judge, jury, or executioner? And this is coming from me. I spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan with the sole purpose of killing bad people. That was my job. And I can see that the value of that is so much lower than the value of taking our butts back over there as missionaries to people. Whether we live die, whatever, it should not matter. Period. I'm sorry I went off on a little tangent there, but uh, it's just me. Um, I'd like to go to Galatians 5, 16 through 26 real quick. Some more about how the way we should be and the indications of, of what we should look like as Christians. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can you go back to, go back a couple to 20, please, Craig? <laughs> well, I want to, yeah, look. Look, it's not just talking about like orgies and stuff that we consider real bad. Look, it's saying strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. Uh, Doggone it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, wanted to, we wanted to think we were doing all right because we wasn't worshiping idols. But you could replace that idol word with our self-preservation and our uh, 2015 Tahoe or whatever you want to put there, you know, whatever, whatever we're putting ahead of the glory of God. Um, <laughs> a lot of times I, and I see this and I see this within myself and within other people and um, just a little, I hate to get off on another tangent, but uh, mentioned the 2015 Tahoe. We go after the one with the, the heated seats and the leather and everything. When we got the 2007 with the cloth seats, it's got 120,000 miles on it. It's still running fine. Yeah. 
But it's just not, it's just not good enough for us. We're just not happy with it. Because we're not driving our joy from God. We're, we're trying to find it in things of the world. Oh man, that, that, oh, man, that would be so awesome if I could have that. Like, gosh. Or we could, the right answer, the right answer is actually taking that extra money that we have to spend towards that and probably giving it away. Just something to think about. And uh, we all know this one, but uh, Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. It could be argued that this is the single most important thing that Jesus said. This is the last thing recorded of his life. It's like his famous last words are, I command you to go evangelize and discipleship. But uh, we tend to get distracted with, with our own things and our own fears. Like here in America, we're not going to get beat down or probably killed but we're afraid to just be embarrassed in front of coworkers, or, or that, or that somebody who thinks they're real smart and has all these good comebacks about Christians and and whatever else is is going to start trying to trying to make us look like fools. But if we know enough of the Bible and and are able to regurgitate Scripture, like you can't really look like a fool. Why are we so afraid of doing what Jesus commanded us to do? And I've found that within myself. It is embarrassing. It's flat out embarrassing to be like that. And uh, Daryl already read the Be Holy Because I Am Holy from First Peter. And we sung some songs about it. I don't know if y'all were listening to any of it. That's really biblical stuff. I don't know if we were just saying the words. But uh, <laughs> appreciate you, Pastor Daryl. Um, I like to go now to the end of Acts 5, 40 through 42. And this is about the apostles. This is after Jesus had died and come back and uh, given the, the, uh, the Great Commission. And um, the apostles had been brought before the Sanhedrin for preaching and, and teaching and, and doing miracles and stuff. And the, the, the Jewish leaders, they, they didn't like any of it. But they were like, well, we better not kill them or we're going to have a problem on our hands. So... They took, his, they took uh, the advice of the one who said, we better not kill him. And after they called, after called the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they released them. So what did they do? So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let me ask you a question. What is keeping us from being like the apostles? I understand that we can't be 100% like Jesus. He's the best example. He's 100% God and 100% man. But what is keeping us from being as on fire as the apostles? I don't know. You tell me. It might be our flesh. I don't know. 
The most important thing in this life is bringing glory to God, and that is making him famous through our testimony, evangelism, and discipleship. If we let anything hinder us from our purpose, the purpose that we were created, we're in the wrong, and and none of us are perfect in any of this. Um, One of my favorite passages of Scripture, uh, Joshua 5, 13 through 14, shows how Joshua completely understood his role as, as God was using him. He didn't understand what was going to come after. He probably barely understood what came before him, but he understood that him doing exactly what God told him to do was building towards something else. So, now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua immediately fell on his face to the earth and bowed before him and said, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Joshua immediately recognized the Lord because of the answer that he got, which to me shows how deeply Joshua understood who the Lord is. Because a lot of times we like to look at the Lord as being our, our little sidekick, our little, our little teammate. Like every, whenever we're, trouble, we're in trouble, we, uh, we like to say, Lord, I need help. Man, I, I, I could really use some help on this one. But Joshua, this is what he understood and what was reiterated right here. No, whether I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord, neither for your adversaries or for you. I'm for me. God created us for his glory. We're on his team. That's the way it works. Uh, Another thing that I uh, have come to understand even better is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, underline everything, Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And some other, um, some other translations, it would say, in every circumstance, give thanks. That's hard for me to do. I don't know about y'all, but it is, it is definitely hard, hard to do. But as, as I have, I don't want to say been saved the second time, but as God has pulled me out of the fire for the second time, that is something that I have struggled to, to learn how to do myself. And I know that, I know it's a struggle for everybody, is to give thanks in every situation. And uh, it's just, it's, it's something we have to pray for and, and really put forth energy to, to do. We can't just, it, when you're working on your relationship with God, and you're not exerting energy, you're not really working on your relationship with God. If you're just expecting your faith to, to, to be built up while you're doing nothing, it's, that's not even feasible. And uh, finally, I have, I have a couple more points here, uh, things I'd just 
like to talk to y'all about real quick uh, that have caught my attention over the past year and ha- have bothered me about my own um, my own perspectives on things and and because I see them reflected from other people. Like it's like I'm looking at myself in the mirror and it really gets to me. Uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, we... It's, it's okay to completely disregard our current president and not pray for him. For me, this, this particular passage just shows me how in control God is of things. And regardless of what the political circumstance is or... Regardless of, of how we feel about what's going on in our world, it doesn't change the fact that we are called to evangelism and discipleship, and that does not change, regardless of what rules are upon us. In the early days of the apostles, they were being persecuted heavily, and all the while, it only, it only seemed to stoke their fire to go out into the world and preach the gospel. It even became a widespread thing within the Roman Empire to kill Christians, executions on sight. Until eventually, they had, through this persecution, God used it to spread the gospel to every corner of the Roman Empire. And eventually, the Roman Empire had to embrace Christianity. They could no longer kill them. It, and, and things shifted. This shows me, through... A lot of thinking and stuff. (laughs) This shows me that the only way we're going to change the world is by doing what the Bible says and by sharing the gospel. We cannot change the world through military might. We can't change the world through any device of of that human beings can come up with. The only way to change the the climate regarding you know, the, the fear going around about uh, Muslims and the fear going around about every other thing under the sun is to show others the love of God. Because the only way anything ever changes permanently, not just temporarily, is, is through God. He's in control. 
Um, I was going to talk about how we, uh, we seem to think that our Facebook rants and uh, other things of the like are going to make a dent and change people's minds when, when love is really the only answer. Like we, and direct relationships face-to-face with, with, with other human beings. You, you can't convince somebody with, with, a, with an argument with 10001 code on, on a computer, you know? I mean, you can try your best, but the best way to, to get somebody to listen to you and what you have to say about the Lord is, is face-to-face. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit more. I didn't mean to talk about it earlier, so early. I wanted to talk about it here at the end is... It's kind of our attitude towards Muslims. It's, it's thinking of them in a way where it's almost like we don't know that they're like flesh and blood human beings. And the only reason that we're here and they're there is through the grace of God. Like we were born in America. We're absolutely blessed. But they're living in an entirely different world. Uh, Jim, I mean, you've been there a lot. So, I mean, you, you, you know. I mean, it's like living on a different planet. But um, I, it makes me wonder kind of as far as like, um, it, it's, like we, it's like we fear them. It's like we have this like, this like a subconscious racism, which mine wasn't subconscious for a good long while. Like, I mean, I experienced some pretty horrible things while in Iraq and Afghanistan. My friends were killed and I developed a healthy hatred an unhealthy hatred for, for an entire people group. And that lasted for a couple of years until God started breaking down the walls within, my, within me to, to allow me to see this, that I'm no, di- I'm no different from them. And I should be even that much more thankful that, that God has, has given me what he has given me and that I live in the United States where somebody who lives... And in the meagerest of housing in the United States would be considered a wealthy person in many of these third world places in the world. And it's almost like, it's why, why do we have this, this complete fear of them? Uh, like many of them haven't heard the gospel at all. So how are, they, how are they even supposed to know truly right from wrong and have the... We have the Holy Spirit that tells us right from wrong. We can't expect them to if we're not willing to go share it with them. So, I mean, it puts us, puts us in a weird place when we start saying that we, <laughs> we, we, we feel like they should just be wiped out or we feel like, you know, they need to adhere to these rules if they're going to this place or that place. Whereas... Um, so if they come to America and we start taking away, for example, if we start taking away like their religious freedoms, like we make their women not wear burqas, does that not open eventually a door for our government to start taking away even more of our religious freedoms? If we start taking away religious freedoms of another religion, does that not, that opens a door, opens precedent for us to start losing our own? And instead of being worried about these political solutions and these military solutions, we need to be more worried about what can we do according to the Bible. 
we should be going to places like Clarkston. And I know not, probably not very many people have hit you up on your offer to go down there with you, have they? I'd like to go to Joshua 24, 14, and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We can change some of those words and make them into more American stuff. But I think at this point, y'all get the point. Y'all are smart people of what I'm trying to say. Um, it, I, I want to finish tonight with how I want to find myself at the end of my life. And I want to find myself as Paul found himself at the end of his life. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have no need to be afraid of death or anything that this world has to offer because eternity is way longer. Philippians 2, 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor, nor toil in vain. But even as I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Hold on, I want to reread that. Because this seems significant and like it's probably every bit of him. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. When I come to the end of my days, I want to honestly be able to say that I feel as if I've been poured out as a drink offering unto the Lord. And I want to start now, today, working towards that. That is God's definition of prosperity. That is the, the opposite of the world's definition of prosperity. The world's definition of prosperity is making as much money as you can and having a legacy that people talk about forever. God's definition is pouring ourselves out as a drink offering. Every last drop. Lord, I ask that... Uh, You'd be with us this week and that uh, we would all consider uh, what's in your word and, and, and what you say because there's nothing but truth and life to be found there. Lord, it's uh, many times indisputable. You can't even argue about it even through interpretation, Lord. And uh, I love you for everything you're doing in my life. And uh, I especially pray for the younger folks that are here that uh, they would see you 
in every possible situation or avenue of their life and pursue you with all their strength and with all their emotion and with all their, all their will, Lord. I ask that we as a church would be set on fire for you and that we would consider not just what we can spare in time and energy and money, but what will it take to keep spreading your gospel? What will it take as far as our, our courage within ourselves to share with other people? What will it take to show patience with unbelievers? Lord, I thank you for, for everything you're doing in my life and uh, thank you for allowing me to, to share with the church tonight and um, thank you, Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.